Welcome to Living Water Radio. Cornbread is a popular food in many places and for many cultures. Does it mean anything in particular to you? It makes me think of both racism and evangelism. How are they connected? Today we're going to find out. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a Christian Church Disciples of Christ, United Church of Christ, ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. First, we're going to talk about what cornbread muffins have to do with doing evangelism. I bought two boxes of cornbread mix when I was at the Aldi grocery store recently. I was there shooting some background videos, so I thought I should buy something. I saw the boxes and thought it would be fun to make cornbread muffins. I remembered the mix boxes from years back and thought they were pretty cheap, about a dollar a box. The shelf said they sold for $1.99, but okay, inflation. When I got to the checkout counter, the cashier rang them up at $1.99 for two. She said they must have been mislabeled. Deal! They're pretty easy to use. They're a mix. Fun fact, when cakes mixes came out in the 1950s, all you had to do was add water. They didn't sell because people thought that the effort to make a cake was a big part of the gift. So the manufacturers changed the formula so that cake mixes required eggs and other ingredients and, of course, effort, and they began to sell. To make cornbread muffins, the box says, you have to add one egg and one-third cup of milk to the mix in the box and stir it until it's a little lumpy. Preheat the oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit, grease a muffin tin, or find some paper baking cups to use as liners. Let the mixture sit for three or four minutes, then stir the mixture again if you want the maximum crown on the muffins. Fill the greased uh, the grease tin or paper cups two-thirds full and bake for 15 to 20 minutes until the muffins are golden brown. That's it. Cornbread muffins remind me of a trip I took to another world when I was in high school. I was a part of a student exchange with students from LaGrange, Georgia, 20 from each school. It was 1965 and the civil rights movement was taking root. Manitowoc, Wisconsin, my hometown, had almost no people of African descent, but my church, particularly my church's youth group, was active in learning and seeking justice. Pastor Nelson Trout, who later became my bishop, the first African-American Lutheran bishop west of the Mississippi, was a leader in the national church body of which our congregation was a part, particularly in youth activities. The movement for desegregation hadn't reached everywhere, including LaGrange, where we lived for two weeks in the homes of the same kids who had first lived in our homes for two weeks. We attended their white high school. We were shown the high school where the black kids went on a tour, and we were told how magnanimous the white community had been in building them a brand new school and how they didn't appreciate it. It was a segregated school. I remember many arguments over the dinner table with my host family. 
It seemed to me that the mom in my host family was sympathetic not just to change, but to real community. The dad was not, and my student counterpart was ready for a new worldview. I went back the next summer to work in a camp near LaGrange for what were then called underprivileged children, a term that ironically seems very contemporary now. They were all white. On my way home, after the camp's program ended, I was in the Atlanta bus station and decided I needed a haircut. I knew it would make my mom happy, and I felt very responsible getting a haircut on my own. I walked into the station's barber shop and was motioned to the one open chair by a barber. He was a large white man with a nearly shaved head. Call it stereotyping, but if I had heard him called Bubba, I wouldn't have been surprised. He snapped a sheet around my neck and we started talking. He detected my northerner accent immediately and asked me what I was doing in the South. Remember, these were the days of the Civil Rights Movement, and northern white freedom riders were becoming notorious. I explained that I had been working at the camp, and he asked me what I thought about what was happening with race relations there. I started talking just as he began sharpening his straight razor to trim around my ears and the back of my neck. You know what I thought just then? I thought, today I am a man. In my hometown, boys were trimmed with electric clippers. Men were trimmed with a straight razor. I had always been trimmed with the clippers, but not today. As he began to shave, he said something really offensive. And as the emotional temperature of our discussion went up a few degrees, I felt something warm trickle down the back of my neck. Oh, that ain't nothing, he said. I can fix that right up with a little styptic pencil. So yes, I tell people that I learned an important lesson that day. Never argue with the man who is standing behind you with a straight razor in his hand. But back to the cornbread muffins. Cornbread muffins were served at every school lunch, and they were eaten in a particular way. We would poke a hole in the center, put a little butter in it, which was optional, and then fill the remaining cavity with honey. So good. The first two ingredients in the cornbread mix are wheat and corn. Maybe that's why they call it cornbread. Both of those ingredients come from the same place, a seed. You plant a seed, you try and plant it in good soil, it gets rained on or you water it. Sometimes you have to add fertilizer to the soil. The sun shines on it and the seed invisibly germinates. Then it sprouts and grows until the fruit is ready to be harvested and made into something good. Evangelism works the same way. God gives you a seed. Planting a seed is sharing your story. Your story is titled, Why I Am a Christian, or Why I Remain a Christian. Planting a seed is not offering a subtle hint of the gospel, and it's not finding a sneaky way to share the gospel like putting broccoli in your child's smoothie. It is your witness, your story of what you have seen. You find the best results when you plant that seed in good soil. Good soil is often a friend or a relative, someone who finds your witness believable. They know you, and they know you have nothing to gain for yourself, just something good to give, or you wouldn't be trying to give it to your friends or family. 
Sometimes it's not someone really close, but someone you know like a co-worker or a teammate who is at the point of need in their lives where the history of salvation and your story in particular is of interest and who is open to hearing it. Pray for those others whose heart is rocky or filled with thorns or shallow soil, but be aware especially of those whose true self is good soil for your seed and share your story. Once you have shared your story, be an encourager. Encouragement is like water to a seed. There is more around us to take us away from God than to draw us near. Encourage those whose hearts, in whose hearts you have planted a seed with prayer for them. Offer literature. Invite them to come to church with you and sit with you. Ask if they have any questions. Follow up. From here on out, God takes over. Our task is to point to God and get out of God's way. As Paul writes in his first letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Sometimes a person doesn't see much change in their lives right away after the seed has been planted, and they wonder if God is real. That's when they may need some fertilizer, a growth enhancer. For that, God provides a gift. All Christians are called to evangelize, to share the good news of new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. But some people have a special gift, like a specific organ in the body of Christ, a spiritual gift, as in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at the 11th verse. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. If that's not you, a person may benefit from being introduced to someone in the body of Christ who you believe has the gift of evangelism. Then the sun shines. Encourage people to receive its rays. Encourage a prayer life. Encourage Bible reading. Encourage regular participation in worship. Encourage community with Christian friends. Encourage their openness to the work of the Holy Spirit to bring them a new life, to make of them a new creation, born again to love God and neighbor in word and deed. One day, the Holy Spirit cracks through, and they germinate. They get it. They sprout. They become visible, and they grow. The good soil, the water, and the fertilizer are still needed. There will be many challenges and temptations to steal them away. But God is faithful, and God will continue to be steadfast. They will grow and bear the fruit of changed lives. What does the Christian life look like? What is its fruit? Paul answers in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at the 22nd verse. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. 
Some of that fruit will bear seeds that will be planted and grow and bear fruit. It will become part of an unbroken string of shared lives, planted seeds, that has gone on by the grace of God for the past 2,000 years. And in every step, God has taken the initiative. Share your story humbly, not to make a score, but as one serving the Lord. Plant a seed today. But let's get back to the cornbread. How could the people I met in LaGrange, most of whom were, I think, Christians, have tolerated their racism and thought and action for so long? And why were some of them open to change because of their Christian conscience at that time? Because voices were raised, witnesses came forward, the evil was brought to the light. We must confront evil, whatever defies God, as evangelists. But we also have to ask ourselves where we have resisted the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so that when we point to the sins of others, we might do so with experience, humility, and love, as we are first aware that we too are sinners and capable of evil. Things that once were considered normal are now considered evil, because the light has dawned. What will future generations condemn us for that we accept as normal today? The internal combustion engine, eating red meat, income disparity, air conditioning, materialism, consumerism? We need to name the evil as God gives us the eyes to see it. Then we need to poke a hole in that evil like in a cornbread muffin, and fill it with something better. Our witness rings pretty hollow if we can't offer something better. Do we model holy living most of the time? Do our churches offer anything but mediocre entertainment, or a sweetly artificial form of family, or incidental community service? Or do we offer changed lives, a solid foundation for better living, and abundant life here and forever, through Jesus Christ. When Jesus began his public ministry, he proclaimed his message. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, in Matthew 4.17, also found in Mark 1.15. We are called to turn away, to repent from everything that is not of the Holy Spirit and toward the living relationship with the one true living God for which we were created. The already but not yet reign of God has come and will be brought to perfection in the life to come. Meanwhile, how does it come? Jesus said in Mark 4, starting at the 26th verse. He also said, The kingdom of God is if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. We aren't perfect, but we are always growing because God worked through someone who told us about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by the grace of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. May our lives also bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. May we plant its seeds. May we offer the world a better alternative for real living. And may we be always ready for when the final harvest comes. Today, let's remember to pray for all those who have yet to get the vaccine. 
because they are most at risk to themselves and to others. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal, and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have available and support your church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay at home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.